Do you long to know God better? In his book, The God You May Not Know, Pastor David Jeremiah walks readers through how to develop intimacy with God, discover his character, and encounter God's holiness. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, you'll receive this inspiring book. Gifts of $55 or more will receive The Knowing Set, and gifts of $75 or more will receive The God You May Not Know Set. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. He never failed to worship God despite his circumstances, and his circumstances always seemed to find him in trouble. How did King David do it? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains the importance of making worship more than an act, but a lifestyle through good times and bad. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Worship in Times of Trouble. Thank you for joining us today. We are studying the Psalms with a view to figuring out how to get through the tough times in life. The title of the series is When Your World Falls Apart. There's actually a book by that title, and you can get that from our website. Uh, We would love to have the opportunity to continue ministering to you from the Psalms because they have been such a blessing to my life. Someone once said there's more tears on the pages of the Psalms in most Bibles than any other book. And that's simply because the Psalms are emotional. They take you from the darkest place and help you see how God makes a difference in your life. Today, we're going to look at part two of Worship in Times of Trouble from Psalm 138. And uh, we hope you will join us there in your Bibles. Our resource for the month is a very helpful book that assists us in applying all of these truths to our hearts. It's a book called Sleep on This, 100 Evening Reflections from God's Word to Help You Sleep Better. Simply put this by your bedside, turn on your little nightlight, read these short reflections, and let the words penetrate your heart. Go to bed thinking about those things instead of all the troubles and trials you've accumulated through the day. You'll find it to be a great therapy, a wonderful way for God's Word to help you get through a sleepless night. We'd love to send you this book. It's a great thing. It's a great book because here's the cool thing about it. If you don't feel like reading this yourself, just click on the QR code and it'll be read to you. There's a QR code on every reflection. And the guy who reads it, oh man, his voice his voice is a bedtime voice. You will be blessed by the reading of this book. And it's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August. Here's part two of Worship in Times of Trouble. Let us note that as we worship the Lord in this way, we're also to worship the Lord intelligently. Notice it says, let us worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. And David mentions three things for which we're to praise God when we're in trouble. This is interesting to me. And if you put these things together, they will start to make sense to you when you pray out of the difficulties of your life. First of all, you're to praise him for his mercy and his truth. He said, I will praise you for your loving kindness and your truth. And the word loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's the word for mercy. Have you ever noticed how often mercy and truth are found together in the same passage? They're twins in the Old Testament. In the Psalms especially, over and over again, you see mercy and truth wedded together in the same text. For instance, Psalm 25, 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy 
and truth. Later on, in Psalm 57, 3, we read, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 85, 10 says, mercy and truth have met together. Now, the importance of bringing these two together in the same text and the reason we ought to give thanks to God should be evident to us when we begin to observe the fickleness of our own earthly friends. How many of you know that there are some people who are endued with mercy, some people who have truth, but there are very few who have wedded the two together? And if you have a person who has all mercy and no truth, then what you're going to have is a lot of injustice. Mercy will be granted without any standard to gauge it against. Most of us know people who are filled with truth and zero mercy. And they have a tendency to be very cruel. But oh, my friend, when you meet the Lord God, you meet someone who is perfectly in balance between mercy and truth. His mercy is in the light of his truth and his truth is held in tension by his mercy so that when you come before him in trouble, you know that he hears the very core hearing of your heart and he deals with you according to his divine standard. Then he says we're to praise God in times of trouble, not only for his mercy and truth, but for his magnified word. It says here, for you have magnified your word above all your name. What does that mean? Some have thought that this must be a misprint. How could anything ever be magnified above the name of Almighty God? How could you take anything and put it at a level beyond the name of the Holy One of Israel? And yet that's what the text says. In any way you try to misconstrue that, you come back to the same place. And I don't understand it completely except to say that God values his integrity so much that he says he has placed the integrity of his word at the same place and even elevated it higher than his own name. So that when you read in the word of God that he will be with you, you can count on it. How do you know he has lifted his word higher than anything in all the universe? The word of God is endued with everything that's a part of the name of God. And you can trust him. When we say in the text that he's filled with mercy and truth, the truth can be counted on because it's the word of God that's higher than the name of God. And then he says we're to praise God not only for his mercy and truth and for his magnified word, but we're to praise him for his mighty provision. And this is what I love in this psalm. Read these words. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Every word of that is important. First of all, God doesn't delay in answering when we come to him. We may think he delays because we have our own perspective on time, but God hears us when we cry. And notice what he says. He says, Lord God, when I cry unto you in my trouble, you answer me. Now, please hear what he doesn't say because this is what we would like for him to say. When we cried out to God in our trouble, he looked down and it all went away. And that's what we want. Oh Lord, get this pressure off of me. Take this trouble away. But notice what it says. In the day when I cried out to the Lord, he gave me boldness with strength in my soul. How many of you know that when trouble comes, sometimes God takes us through it? Sometimes he helps us in it. And sometimes he keeps us from it. 
But in whatever he does, he gives us the strength in our soul to go through the difficult times. When David cried out to the Lord, it was like the Lord came down and reinforced his soul. He said it gave him so much strength that it made him bold in his strength, made him proud of the strength that God had given him. So that when he stood in the midst of suffering and challenges and all of the problems that he had, and David had so many of them, he could stand in the midst of it and say, oh Lord God, when I cried out to you and I needed you, you infused my soul with strength and so I could go through it and stand up in the midst of it. How many of you know God does that? In fact, I don't want to say this presumptuously because I'm not asking for any more trouble. I got enough. But it's almost worth going through it just to know that God does what he says. It's almost worth being there just to know that when God says, I'm going to give you the strength to go through it, he will do it. And it's not just what's written in this book, my friend. It's what you now have experienced. The first two things David was thanking the Lord for were things that were true because the word of God said they were true. This last thing was something he'd experienced in his own life. He said, when I cried to you, you heard me and gave me strength in my soul. Amen. Now in the second stanza of this psalm, which I'm going to pass over very quickly, David looks into the future. And he says two things. He says, the praise that I worship God with in the midst of my trouble is just a small little version of the praise that one day will be worldwide in its impact. For there's coming a day in future triumph when all shall worship God. In fact, he says, not just all, but even the kings. He says, all the kings of the earth will praise the Lord. Did you know that's coming a day when every king in every place and every president and every leader of every nation, no matter who they may be, are going to bow before almighty King Jesus and give glory to him. The Bible tells us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And in that day, every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be at that time in the words of Paul that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. The kings of this earth will bow before God. David said, just as I am bowing before God in the midst of my trouble, there's coming a day when the whole world will do that. I like to liken that to the commercial that was on the air for so long. I can't even remember what product it was, but you can pay me now or pay me later. And I always think about that when I read this. You can bow now or you can bow later. But my friend, every knee will ultimately bow before Almighty God. All the kings shall worship the Lord. And then he says something that's quite interesting, that all kinds of people will be acknowledged by the Lord. Did you know that the Lord acknowledges everyone? And here in this passage of Scripture, David's drawn a line right through the center of humanity. And he's divided all of humanity up into two categories. He said some are the lowly and some are the lofty. And God has a relationship with both of them. Did you know that? God has a relationship with the lowly. And I often think about this. I think about it often when I visit the inner city of New York and see the people that come from the poor homes there and come out of the difficult circumstances they've experienced 
And I sense the love that God has for them and the love they have for God. And I realize there's some kind of a special relationship with the people who've gone through difficult times in their life and have been pushed down almost to the point where they can hardly lift their head. God regards the lowly. Someone has said, because the lowly ones think so little of themselves, the Lord thinks so much of them. (laughs) He listens to their prayers and he protects them from evil. My friend, one of the things you discover when you work in the church of Jesus Christ, it's not made up of primarily high and lofty ones. It's made up of people who've come in a humble way to find the Lord out of their circumstances. Many of them in ways that you would never have charted if you had been in charge. But God has brought us all from various humble places and put us in his family and he has honored and regarded those who are the lowly ones, the humble ones is what he says. But then he says he also has a relationship with the lofty ones. Did you know that? Now here he's talking about people who are proud and arrogant, who think they can live life without God. And he says that he resists the lofty ones. Listen to that. But the proud he knows from afar. (laughs) Listen to this. He embraces the lowly ones, the ones who come with humility out of their experiences and circumstances. But the proud, the relationship he has with them is at arm's length. Someone has said, you don't have to get close to the proud because you can see what they are from a long way. And if you can't see, they'll tell you. (laughs) Or someone else said, there's no noise like the noise of an empty semi-truck rattling down the highway, declaring to everyone who will hear, there's nothing in here. What's the problem with a proud person in his relationship with God? He's so full of himself, he's got no place for God. And the Bible tells us that until we come in humble recognition of who we are and who God is, there is no hope for us. We all ultimately come to God the same way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no such thing as a proud person in the presence of Almighty God. David said there's coming a day when all the kings will bow. All the potentates will bow. And it will be evident then that God regards the lowly and he resists the proud. Over and over again in the scripture, we're told that God resists the proud. Well, we come to the last two verses and here is the final chapter in this little prayer of David. It's a wonderful, wonderful two verses. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Let me just tell you what David says in these two verses. He said, first of all, that when we come to the Lord, ultimately in worship, there are times of personal uncertainty when we need to worship him. In these verses, he said, when he's in the midst of trouble. In fact, he says, when he walks in the midst of trouble. You know, it's one thing to be in trouble. It's another thing to be in the midst of trouble. It's a totally different thing to walk in the midst of trouble. It means you're continuing to be in the same place. You just walk through trouble. When I walk in the midst of trouble, Lord, I know that you know and you're going to revive me. First of all, David is rejoicing in this truth that the Lord will protect him. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will stretch out your hand against the wrath of mine enemies. Did you know that David spent all of his life in trouble? I kind of went back over his life. He spent the early part of his life running away from the most powerful man in his world. 
Finally, Saul dies. David becomes king, and all of a sudden, everything comes unglued with all of his neighbors, and he gets into war with everybody. So now he's in trouble with all of the neighbors around him. And finally, he gets that all settled down, and lo and behold, he spends the last years of his life with incredible domestic problems. His sons are rebelling against him. His whole house is in jeopardy. He walked in the midst of trouble all right. Some of you think you're having a bad day. You read the life of David, and you'll feel better. Because David walked in the midst of trouble. But the Bible says God promised to protect him. In fact, these are the words that David wrote that we know so well from Psalm 23. He said, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And every believer knows that when you walk through the valley, when you go through the trouble, when you're in the midst of trouble, that's when you feel the presence of the Lord like you never felt him before. The Lord has promised to be with you. And then, almost as if an afterthought, but perhaps the most important thought in the whole chapter, David says, not only will the Lord protect you, but listen to this now, he will perfect you. He will perfect the things that concern you. You see, what happens to you when you go through trouble is you lose all sight of perspective. You begin to think that God has forgotten you, that the plan you thought he had for your life has been aborted. You're now not even in his plan book. But remember this, when you go through trouble, God is still working on you. He is still working in you, and his purpose is to perfect you and to complete you, to make you mature and whole. And the only way that God can get us from where we are to where he wants us to be is let us walk through the midst of trouble. We don't learn things the easy way. You don't learn very many important lessons in times of prosperity. You learn the important lessons when you are reduced to a one-on-one relationship with God. He's your only hope, your only asset, your only possibility, and you look up into his eyes and you realize that from the very beginning it's always been like that. You just didn't know it. And during that time, what is God doing? He is perfecting the things that concern you. Someone has said that this is the Philippians 1, 6 of the Old Testament. I write that verse in my Bible a lot when I sign Bibles. It goes like this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you're going through the midst of trouble, God is working in you. He is perfecting you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He is doing those things in your life which you may not have signed up for. How many of you know you don't get to volunteer for this class? You don't even get to vote on whether you want it in the curriculum. But God sends you through the program with this purpose in mind. Not only that he can show you how good he can protect you, but so that he can demonstrate how wonderfully he can perfect you. So that when you come out on the other side, you've been tried and the dross is burned off and what's left is primarily the gold of your life. What a wonderful God. When we begin to get the perspective of the Psalms on the difficulties of our life, a lot of things begin to change in the way we think. Well, let me just close my Bible with the last phrase of the Psalm. For this is really wonderful. His last words are these. 
Lord, do not forsake the works of your hands. And the picture is that David views himself in the hands of Almighty God. And he said, Lord, you started this work on me. You started working on me a long time ago. When a shepherd boy, I was called back from the field to stand before Samuel. And when you anointed me to be the king, you began that work in my life. Lord, don't forsake the work of your hands. I don't know if you've ever thought about being in the hands of the Lord, but it's a wonderful thought. The hands that created the universe, those are the hands that you're in. The nail-scarred hands that hung upon the cross and paid for your redemption with the nail scars in the midst of them, those are the hands that you're in. The hands that will one day welcome you to glory, those are the hands that you're in. God has put you in his hands. How many of you would rather be in the hands of the Lord than any place else in the world? Isn't that a great place to be? Being in the hands of the Lord. I'm sure you'll understand if I tell you a grandfather story before I quit. Ron Meal, a friend of mine, one day a friend of his invited him to come. This friend was a brand new grandfather, and he was so proud of his little granddaughter, and he wanted Ron to see how this little 10-month-old could navigate. He had told him all about how this little girl could walk. Well, Ron got over to the house, and finally the, the grandfather took this little grandbaby and stood her up next to the couch where she could lean against the couch for strength. And Ron noticed that even in that situation, she seemed a little feeble. Her little chubby legs were kind of weak and wobbly. And finally, his friend sat across the room a few steps and said, come on, little darling, come see old Bumpa. Well, the little girl tried. Her heart was in it. Her spirit was game. And when she stepped out, she just went down in a pile. She didn't have any strength at all in those legs. Ron started teasing his grandfather friend. He said, well, maybe she's just had a hard day. <laughs> well, one more time, the little girl tried to walk. And one more time, there was a pile of 10-month-old on the floor. And this landing was a little harder than before. And the little toddler began to whimper. Then Ron said, my friend did a wonderful thing. Instead of just leaving the little girl to crawl off defeated on her own, he reached down with his big work-hardened hands and took hold of her chubby little fingers and lifted her up and turned her around and he set her feet on top of his. And when he lifted his left foot, she lifted her left foot. And when he lifted his right foot, she lifted her right foot. And they walked across the floor and the little girl got a great big smile on her face like she was accomplishing something. Ron said, I never forgot that. That when... We try to walk on our own in the midst of trouble. Most of the time, we end up in a pile, don't we? We think we can do it. And a lot of times, you know, God will let us go on and do it. Prove to ourselves and to everybody around us that we're not able to do it. And then all of a sudden, we give up and give in. And he reaches down with those hands and lifts us up. And he walks us through the difficulty. That's what he's promised to do. He will do it. And he will do it for you. Whatever it is you may be facing, whatever challenge you may be going through, God is able to do above and beyond all that you can ever ask him to do if you will just grab hold of his hands 
and let him take charge. And you see, friends, that's what worship does. Worship magnifies God and helps you to see your problems in light of the greatness of the Creator. When you worship God, everything gets back into perspective. Take advantage of this opportunity to do it today. Worship Him today. Well, um, when we meet the next time, we're going to look at Psalm 63, called a desert psalm. Psalm for life in the desert. Tomorrow and Wednesday on Turning Point, then on Thursday and Friday, life's ups and downs from Psalm 30. And uh, don't forget, during the month of August, when you send your gift to Turning Point, we have this beautiful gift book called Sleep on This, 100 Evening Reflections from God's Word, read to help you in a wonderful way, calm your nerves and get ready to sleep. And uh, there's a QR code for everyone in the readings. If you don't want to read it yourself, click on the QR code and he'll read it to you, our bedtime reader, and you will be blessed to hear the Word of God and to Go to sleep with the thoughts of God's Word in your mind. It's your gift from us for your gift to us. Your gift of any amount to help us with what we do. When you send your gift to Turning Point, simply say, please send me the sleep on this book, and we will. And we'll see you tomorrow, too, right here on this good station. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The inspirational writer William Arthur Ward once wrote that to the optimist, all doors have handles and hinges. To the pessimist, all doors have locks and latches. I believe the Christian can agree with him. After all, is there any reason for a person who belongs to God to be pessimistic? 
The Bible says nothing can separate us from His love and that He gives us His Spirit to guide us. He promises to meet our needs and bring us securely to His heavenly kingdom. Regardless of what happens around us, God is with us and in us working all things together for good. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to be optimistic on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.